drugs in the crown bowling. Still feeling like I'm proper when I'm rolling. Money is the motive. Gotta tell him what the motive is. Hoping I can stay alive in the moment. Still got my mind made up. You don't wanna see the fuck I'm made up. Way better my behavior. This is the beginning, only looking at the beta. Never set it down, nigga, never go slow. Alright, we're back once again, folks, live in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, and what's up? And welcome to our last episode of 2018. But um, yeah, peace out, 2018. Hello, 2019. Currently, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy uh, Atheist Day. If you're feeling like you don't believe in any of that, and you, just, <laughs> you just pretend like Christmas doesn't even happen. Power to you if you can do that. Also, currently winning Drummer Boy and Wham Challenge. Haven't heard either, yo. Damn, nigga. Haven't what? heard <laughs> either. Got two days to go. Uh, I oh, even, I'm mad at you right now. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was impressed as well. I, you know what it is? Like, my, uh, I've gone to the mall a couple times, and I went into, like, a Rite Aid and a Walgreens, and the Rite Aid and the Walgreens were going instrumental Christmases, uh-huh. you know, so you're not going to lose for either of those. I mean, unless you, I guess if you heard the instrumental drummer boy, it would count. That's but, true. But I didn't hear no pum. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I skipped that, and then... Um, I was watching a lot of Christmas movies because oh, okay. we had them on quiet in the office in the back mm-hmm. in the waiting area, and like uh, none of them have either of those songs, even though a lot of them use Christmas songs in the soundtrack. That's not really in the common uh, uh, ones, so I didn't come across wow. it yet, man. And so unless I do some late Christmas shopping, yeah, don't do any Christmas. Okay. <laughs> Like I got, I got some stories. Like first last year, um, I lost a little drummer boy challenge pretty early. I don't, I just heard it innocuously while I was, but I lost the Wham challenge last year because my homeboy driving the bus was playing some Christmas music. Oh wow! I was like on the city bus. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! On, I went. I was going. I was on the five. Um, I got off at 125th Street to get some Dominoes. You know, taking my Domino's home, feeling good about myself. They got and that then, takeout deal, man. It's like $5. Exactly. Yeah. And then I hear Wham! last Christmas, and I'm just like, you son of a bitch. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> and then this year, so my new job, they started playing Christmas music in the, the lunchroom area, like our main eating area. And I was setting up my computer to host trivia. And here I'm hearing a mashup of Little Drummer Boy and Something Else by Jack Black. <laughs> and I was just like, man, son of a bitch. But the last one, last one, I lost last. Like, so the good thing about last Christmas is you have to hear the original. So at my new company's holiday party, I heard the Ariana Grande version. I could groove to that because you have to hear the original. Yeah, okay. Um, right. But I was walking. I was, uh, where was I walking to? I was, I was walking downtown right by Nordstrom's. And funny enough, I saw someone getting arrested. And while I saw someone getting arrested, uh, there was Last Christmas playing on their speakers outside. And I heard it right at the very end. And then I was just like, no, I love this song, but no. And yeah, so uh, <laughs> keep us posted on how that challenge worked out for you and your friends. Uh, how far did you get? And, uh, and or if you uh, if you made it through. Um, and as always, uh, we do have a segment we like to begin with. 
since now that we've got our Christmas chatter out the way, and uh, we like to look back on the episodes and the topics and the things we've brought up in the past in a segment we like to call Callbacks. Yeah, Callbacks. Boom. And yeah, so we're here in the the last days of 2018. You know, what's going on in the callback section? Obviously, Congress news for the current is yeah. a shutdown currently. Yeah, there is a shutdown as of this recording. So uh, we'll see what the ramifications of that are. But uh, what topics do you have in the uh, look back segment? Uh, I mean, I don't have uh, too much to call back to directly. Uh, there was that one girl um, who died of dehydration. Uh, she was seven years old. I need to find her name. Just wanted to put that out there as like, you know, Something that happens at our border and, you know, just like gross mismanagement led to someone dying. It's led to other people dying, too. But this one is the first one that's gotten like natural atten- national attention to the point where. you Right. Know. Yeah. And then there was a kind of heartwarming story about the family that was pictured during the tear gas event that they actually managed to get uh, migration to Canada, legal migration status to Canada. Oh, hey. And there so there were some uh, photos that they. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. There, there's mostly kind of a tragedy situation once in a while. If we get them some proper asylum papers and everything goes good, we've had some happy stories. But you know, the the situation is not getting better necessarily. So it's also at the time now where you know weather becomes a factor mm-hmm. in that it's you know much colder. So the elements, so people that are crossing at places that may not be as um, you know populated uh they're going to be crossing during some of the colder weather um yep her name was uh jacqueline colomanquin and yeah so definitely hopefully when uh, and i don't know what the new congress can really do except for like a prior pl- a pressure on the senate to pass things but then the president has to pass things too so yeah they might be able to cut certain elements of the budget in a way where they can restrict the resources he's using because he is using national guard um, and technically Congress does control that budget. So if they made some very specific appropriations, they could probably restrict the amount of money spent using the National Guard along the border. Mm-hmm. Um, just as kind of a, a statement of, of force removal. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly there needs to be a humanitarian response as opposed to a military response. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the evidence. I mean, we're, we're basically dealing with kind of a similar situation to when like Haiti had the earthquake, you know, cause you have a bunch of people that don't really have much and mm-hmm. they're, they've lost what they had. And so now they're just desperate. And like, that's what we have at the border here. I mean, these are people who are desperate, you mm-hmm. know, they, they really just want a chance. So, I mean, w- what do we do? For the hurricane, you know, we send aid and we send medical chips and we send, um, you know, experts that can come in and hopefully, you know, limit the amount of damage or restructure or whatever they have to do to, to kind of fix the element, you know. Mm-hmm. So why aren't we doing that in this particular humanitarian crisis? You because know? there's a key difference. One well, was a natural disaster and one is the total breakdown of the government. But we're we're framing. We know that the, the definition of a humanitarian crisis is people in crisis. Right. So if that's the the definition, then that's what this is. I just think, yeah, we're definitely framing it 
in the in the context of uh, law and order and migration. But what we really have here is a humanitarian crisis because mm-hmm. whether they're on the Mexican side or the American side, these are desperate people. Mm-hmm. And whether they're on the Guatemalan side or the Mexican side, these are desperate people. Um, so, you know, I just think we need to reframe the entire argument and stop talking about it as, cause you know, like we were talking about before, you know, if we mm-hmm. did, if we did set up, you know, structured federal medical and, and kind of immediate need camps, you know, to try and figure out the population that we're dealing with, we could actually maybe direct them to places where it'd be useful for them and for us as far as, you know, immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's happening on both sides of the border, so it also obviously it has to somewhere be an international kind of contingent people that are actually working together on all sides of these borders, mm-hmm. and and then obviously we gotta you know really point our fingers and look if we're gonna do some abroad politics at where are these problems coming from and what you know can do you know to to alter the the source of these problems you know why are people feeling so desperate from so many places currently so. Yeah, I don't know. I just think reframework's kind of the best bet for us in that situation. If we get it, if this Congress can can kind of sway the minds in that direction, even towards that kind of way, I guess that would be part of their um, kind of position of power that we give them, you know, as representatives. Mm-hmm. So, um, hopefully, you know, there's things this Congress can do. You know, the government shutdown doesn't help. You know, obviously, they need to be able to have the tools at their disposal. Um, and when you close off, like people, I know the government shutdown doesn't usually affect like people as directly as they think, but indirectly it definitely does. And it actually over time kind of has its effect shown as certain entities aren't available. Yeah, we can, we can go into it, into the show. Cause I was going to talk about that cause I pulled up a Vox article because to understand this, because, you know, I've seen some memes around the internet where, you know. They're describing it as a, <clears throat> well, the means will make you think it's a full government shutdown, but it's not a full government shutdown. It's a partial shutdown because some things in the government have had their spending bills already passed. It's the things in the government that haven't had their uh, spending bill already passed that's kind of being blocked right now. And those are things where they're either going to be closed or people are going to be working uh, without pay. But they'll get pay once government uh, comes back into session. So I'll go over that in a second, what the timeline is from what we know at our certain space, which is December 23rd, uh, 2018. Right. And uh, this can all change, yeah, right. as time goes on, yeah. So uh, what and who will keep working? Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, the United States Postal Office, veterans, uh, hospitals, and benefits, food stamps, although um, they have a thing in parentheses that says the agency has limited funds, but the programs will continue operating in the short term, active duty military, and ironically enough, border patrol, and also air traffic control and TSA. And those are all ones that are still working. Yeah, they're still working, but okay, right. th- they're yeah, they're they're still working. But uh, funny enough, uh, active duty military and border control are not getting paid for working, okay, because of the shutdown, right? Um, well, what will be closed or see limited operations? National parks, the IRS, and tax refunds, uh, State Department services. But remember, passports and visas will continue to be issued through some. Uh, though some services uh, could be closed and environmental ooh, environmental and food and drug inspections. That last one's kind of serious. It's going to have romaine part three. 
Yeah, well, in in longer term, kind of what I, what I was actually getting at before was that the, the immediate effect isn't always as direct. You know, mm-hmm. like if your company isn't directly associated with a government activity, it's probably going to just remain as business as usual. You mm-hmm. know, and it's not going to be till down the line. Yeah, if your food's not going to be expected and you're actually eating tainted food, you know, that's going to come down to 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 affect you. And then you know, right now. Uh, you know, availability in national parks, it, as that goes on, that becomes very frustrating. A lot of these things have to be kind of continually maintained. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have the budget for those people to be there and continually maintain those. There's certain things that, you know, occur and there's breakdowns in those systems. And they're very complicated if you start thinking of the amount of acreage our national forests and parks are protecting and the number of jobs and people that are relying on those situations. So it, it's, it's a, you know, a big part of it, too. Even though, you know, it just sounds like Yellowstone's closed for a while. I guess, you know, they'll have to mm-hmm. find their own food, animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and, and definitely the national parks during multiple shutdowns have been something that's gotten hit hardest. Because I had a friend who was a national park ranger here in uh, Seattle for a while. And they were out of work. So definitely this was back in 2013 when Ted Cruz had his whole thing. Um, but, yeah. So it doesn't it seems like it's, it's going to have an impact down the line of course uh but probably yeah like you said we it probably you won't see anything in the interim but uh what i was gonna say is uh, from this recording they did some talks yesterday but those talks didn't go through so the shutdown is being maintained um the next time they're talking will be on thursday um so i think thursday in this case will be a couple days after christmas the 27th but you also have to remember that the the shutdown could change once the new Congress is in session. So this old Congress basically has until January 3rd to come to a deal that they think would be best for them. Otherwise, there the people who are there now will be out and the new blood will be in. And the important part in that is that, you know, the Senate majority just changed to like from 20, sorry, 51 to 54 um but then the house gets a democratic uh majority which some people are criticizing why didn't 45 just wait until they came in so he actually had a convenient scapegoat right now he just has a weird inconvenient scapegoat by blaming shuck schumer and uh nancy pelosi so so yeah yeah uh it's gonna be an interesting transition you know if the shutdown continues over the actual handover of the the keys to the next congress um, I mean, the sad thing I think will happen is that I think the more neoliberal-leaning Democrats will compromise and give him some money for the wall, or they might even just compromise and give him the whole thing because you know, they're saying, yeah, we wanted to give him the wall money because we cared about the people who are out of work. And in this case, because the wall is so it's such an ineffective tool, and just like the overarching xenophobia that surrounds it, um, I I'd rather them hold to their principles than you know, you know, like I would understand why they would make the compromise. the other choice to yeah. compromise. But I think moralistically speaking, and for like what uh, America's standing in the world, you you should. Yeah. Plus, it, yeah. we did mention that the delay and possible uh, cancellation of the IRS and. Um, you know, your tax returns, which is interesting because that is going to come to play, mm-hmm. you know, because February through April is tax return season. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm interested in seeing how that's going to play out because that system's been pretty effective the last few years with pretty immediate tax returns. You know, most people, if your taxes aren't too complicated, if you're like a single pair or like a family, usually it's you can get a 15-day um, straight from the government return Mm -hmm. which is like great from like back in the day when you'd mail it in and then you'd wait and then you might even get an audit report or they'll ask for an extra thing and you'll mail them that Mm -hmm. and like it's it's it you know and it would take months sometimes but yeah it seems like they've kind of got uh that system so to see a year where if if the shutdown continues and delays that what what happens to that because, you know, feels like we already crossed that bridge if we actually come back a little bit on something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The RS1 will be, it'll be interesting because it'll definitely hurt the economy, I believe. Because, you know, everyone does their, oh, it's tax day sales. Oh, you got some money in your pocket? Are you going to save it? No, we love consumerism. Why don't you buy something? All right, so it's... yeah. Yeah, right. I know. And ultimately, somehow, <laughs> retail is the definition of the American economy. I mean, that's, that's well, at least retail and, you know, automotive. If mm-hmm. you include that in retail because people buy cars. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty much that sector is what drives our economy. And so, yeah, you can kind of get a feel for uh, when the money's tight and when it's loose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if there's not a, like, that's just a random time where a bunch of capital is added into the system and people are just like, you're, we're trained to be like, you, you know, you know, people, there's memes that go around the internet all the time telling like, oh, hey, yeah, uh, I got this money and oh, I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling pimply. I'm like, you know, I'm good. Five days later, oh, I'm broke as shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I know. People spend their tax returns sometimes before they get their tax return. Yeah, no, see, and there's a whole, like, damn, there's a whole thing where now H&R Block will spot you the money, uh, like, on a car. Like, there's, like, and, and for them, it makes sense, right? Like, they're, in, and I think they also do it where they take some of the money as an interest. So they're making money, they're making money off of you preparing your taxes. And then, you know, people are, like, chomping at the bit. Like, some people are chomping at the bit because times is hard, you know, poverty in america is a thing right but other people are just like i'm gonna blow it (laughs) and yeah it's kind of like okay (laughs) okay like it's tax returns are a very interesting thing and i guess because i come from a place where i haven't oh no i got one last year it was very small but and i ended up saving it but then I saved it for oh no like a month and then i spent that so yeah Well, uh, yeah, so government shutdown, hopefully hopefully they, they get it figured out without uh, compromising their ideals. Uh, we'll, we'll see that. Also, you know, saying uh, since it's in the future, Happy New Year to everybody. Hopefully you guys have a safe one if you're uh-huh. listening to this early or you just had a good safe one. Uh, 2019, you know, we'll be writing it on checks the wrong way for a few weeks. Oh, that'll be me. That'll <laughs> I, be me kind of half kidding because i'm like who writes checks anymore but you know once in a while just out of nostalgia you know you know i used to write checks very recently but now that i got an automated thing set up i don't need to write them anymore yeah yeah so you just forget the date when you're just talking to humans again so it's Mm -hmm. like it's 2019 (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh but yeah what else is on the docket outside of uh government calling it quits taking a little vacay yeah like i mean that's that's basically what i wanted to do for the this week in fake news because it's another one of those it's it's just 
like as an overview you have to understand no matter what the propaganda that trump was trying to say to you this is his whole dealing he's holding up wanting to sign anything that doesn't have i believe it's 5.7 billion dollars for the border wall and i guess i can understand it from the standpoint of this is what he said to his constituency that he was going to do but he also said like mexico was going to pay for it and like he's always been moving the goalposts on this one and uh, and and that's Trump. Trump moved the goalposts. But this is, by moving the goalposts, like, the overall xenophobia of America has led to this. And this is the impact. And we got to tell you about those things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 only early in the situation. And, you know, we'll see coming in the coming days. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, the waning hours of the uh, the current Congress before the new representatives get sworn in. For sure. Which is what? On the... January 3rd. January 3rd. Okay. That's what I thought. I knew it was early in January. And then, yeah, because presidential's 20th. And then the uh, Congresses are are already there working when the president gets there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, what else What else has happened in the news lately? Obviously, uh, weather is changing. We had a micro-tornado here in Washington in Port Orchard, mm. which was really funny in the sense that no one got hurt, so it's funny. Uh, I mean, there might have been minor injuries. No one was killed. But uh, all of the video footage anyone caught of the moment so far that I've seen, they held it in portrait mode. So they had the vertical angled video footage now of all of these tornadoes. And I'm like, doesn't everyone know that if something exciting's happening, you got to turn it sideways so that we can get the full screen effect? Yeah. Yeah, we need to stop because you can't have like these news stories where like two thirds of your screen is like not available and you're squinting to try and see what this. Yeah, I mean, documenting's documenting though. Yeah, they need to document in horizontal mode. <laughs> I'm I'm putting that out there. That <laughs> I mean. no more tornado footage in vertical. You got to get that in horizontal mode. So that's a rule. Uh, but yeah, wild weather hitting, hitting because we're getting into the winter storm months. Mm-hmm. So we've had, uh, pretty windy days here in Seattle, knocked out some power. Yeah. I keep forgetting high advisory winds is a thing we get here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, jump, dumping snow tonight in the mountains. They're going to get several inches of snow. Big wind storm brought that in. So oh, there you go. We'll well, pro- congratulations skiers and snowboarders. We'll, we'll probably get some of the wet and the wind from that situation down here. So, uh, you know, other people in the Northeast obviously getting blanketed in snow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to get uh, get that, that wild weather going into the end of the year as as the huge. That, that makes me think, because I, I remember growing up <laughs> back when I would watch the local news, there would always be a segment about people trying to travel during the holidays and how there was always this inevitable, oh, my sn- my plane was snowed in. Oh, I was trying to get back home tonight. And like part of me now goes like, y'all know this might happen. So, I mean, I get why y'all do it, but what what is the point of this segment anymore? Right? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Well, at times I've always wondered why was it in the news to begin with, but, you know. You know what I've always been surprised by is how snowy it can be and planes can still land. Mm. Honestly, man. Because I know you get planes snowed in. That's like if they haven't taken off, but sometimes you've already taken off and, like, the runway is still there, you mm-hmm. know, and they'll have you land. Like, I've landed in Denver in, like, full-on snowstorms. Like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. It's It's... Uh, it's kind of a miracle the technologies they use to fly those things nowadays because yeah mm-hmm. literally when they're shutting down the airport like yeah you don't want to be at the sky in that day because they'll fly in a lot of weather so mm. 
Yeah, those those advisories are pretty legit. I wouldn't suggest landing in uh, Denver in a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't necessarily fun, but uh, yeah, we are we are moving at the end of 2018 quickly. Uh, what else is uh, standing in our way of, of enjoying the holiday season, man? <laughs> no, what else is standing in our way? Our uh, inability to like Christmas songs. That's that's what's standing in our way. I don't right. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Was there any no fervor this year over the the Starbucks cup? Is it, it had a pretty? I, I didn't hear. I think I think they picked something that was pretty neutral to you know that I couldn't get blown up by Fox News. Be like, yeah. No, what's wrong with saying like I did read a meme um on on Facebook where it was making fun of liberals by basically trying to be overtly PC but in a way that was like missing the point uh and thinking it is being very obtuse. I'm trying to think of a better word for it. But then, like it, it, and then there was like to my conservative friends, uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, and God bless America. And I was just like, I see what you did there. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. Well, as my, I can do an earlier divergence, man. Uh, if you want to, my, um, uh, I was just going to talk about uh, Cytonia Brown and the whole Clementine thing, but I think we already did that. Did we do that? I mean, uh, we we haven't. Uh, so that's 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 a whole situation where you had a, a woman who was abused and 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 for years was basically you know pimp, mm-hmm. a prostitute pimped out however you want to kind of yeah. skirt around that issue ever since she was like 13 years old and eventually uh got into a position where she was able to get a gun as I was I understand it mm-hmm. and utilized it to kill the person who had at that in her mindset been enslaving her for all those years and she was sentenced to 51 years in jail and a lot of people consider it self-defense and consider that she was under duress in a situation where she was not allowed to to make her own decisions and lead her own life that she had every right to separate herself from such a violent person in the way that she did mm-hmm. and so uh fast forward to you know the 2017 2018 and you have the public really kind of uh becoming vocal in mm-hmm. in this particular case so if you want to take it from there i suppose oh <laughs> uh, yeah no no worries um basically right now at this one uh, article that i'm reading uh, that there she has her advocates her celebrity advocates including meek mill and uh, kim kardashian and they're pushing uh, the governor uh, governor haslam to uh, grant her clemency but the last week the lead detective in the case wrote a letter to Haslam stating the accurate um, according to WRKN, Detective Charles Robinson claimed Brown has inconsistencies in her story. And uh, a bit of their statement goes, At the beginning of the investigation, I considered the possibility that Santonia Brown was justified in killing Johnny Allen. At the conclusion of the investigating uh, investigation, my findings uh, were that she was not justified in killing Mr. Allen and her only motivation for the murder was robbery. So that's just a very interesting statement. Yeah. Right? Like the past abuses didn't factor in. Like all of that. Like it feels like that's just seeing a, a tree in the forest of things that happen. Right? Like, yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, I the only thing I can read into that that I would like twist anyway 
is that I I can see that she definitely I see he's trying to inst- instill the idea that did she have other options outside of killing him mm-hmm. that's basically what he's trying to elicit so you know if you feel like someone psychologically and emotionally can be in a position where they're not able to to separate or there's physical um restraint that 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 prevents them from leaving there are you know then you know the situation is justified and he's kind of stating in a in a in a back way that she murdered somebody for robbery and basically making the choice of the murdering in his mind isn't justified so that i understand just in the sense of like that's what they're trying to say is Mm -hmm. you know you 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 shouldn't kill people but what we're now all trying to talk about in in the conversation is what is the circumstances of a justified killing mm-hmm. and can uh emotional and physical enslavement be one of them and and if you characterize this case in that light as mm-hmm. opposed to the light he's carrying it out in mm-hmm. which is a murder for for robbery i would assume money but mm-hmm. you know i don't know um or you know in the case that we're saying that this is essentially a self-defense act for sure of of preventing continual enslavement so yeah that's uh that the the case itself would have to be framed or the clemency would be framed in that manner and they would and then you would essentially you would probably just let her go Mm -hmm. so you know i think what he's doing there is trying to cling to the idea that the motivation of murder is where the error is and so her motivation for murder was this therefore she's a criminal um you know they that's that's what they have to change in the mind of the the law is that that's not the actual situation um so yeah that's that's interesting and and i can see it from the sense from amount of information i've been given you know being as a as a case in the media that i i've gotten details from in that sense um you know it seems justifiable it seems like it would be easy to make the determination to to let her go maybe starting with some half how half way house kind of situation where you kind of let them transition from their time behind jail to being back into the real world and try yeah. to and don't just that's bullshit though but well i'm not <laughs> saying to like incarcerate i'm saying to 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 give her her best chance because i don't really see going from enslavement to prison to direct freedom is necessarily with somebody with her history is necessarily a fair thing either in the sense that that she might not thrive immediately man you know what i mean like at this point in time it's like we you know almost medically we gotta like keep an eye on the situation to make sure that like they're giving her a real opportunity to like restructure her life because at this point I i don't know if you know much about people who leave jail but um if you leave jail from a certain period of time, it's hard sometimes to kind of just go straight into society, especially a society that you had already been kind of this abused fringe member of for your Mm -hmm. whole life up until the moment that you were then incarcerated. That's true. So I'm not, yeah, I'm just saying you can't just open the doors and let her go. Like I would just think even if the, if the public has her best, um, in, you know, 
future in mind, then, you know, we need to take care of her to some degree. Right. But, I mean, in this certain case, that's neither here nor there. Because here, for the clemency, the clemency is either going to let her out, making her for time served, right? Or she's going to jail for 51 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I understand that. I, I, I'm just saying, but there definitely needs to be some assistance from the state in the ongoing because even if you give clemency to some degree oh you're saying for time served as opposed to uh clemency in retroacting the case if you're saying that it's just for time served that means they're still saying as the state that she's guilty of murder yeah okay huh well there you go (laughs) i would think you would actually from a principal standpoint you would want to overturn the case and use the pardon to to initiate that. Um, I mean, as long as she doesn't have to serve 51 years, pragmatically speaking, as long as she gets out, as long as she gets out. Yeah. Okay. Is the law changed? Is a similar situation going to end in a better result? Well, I mean, no, the law is not going to change. Like, in this case, it's you're giving a special... I guess special privilege to an individual because they're because it wasn't handled by our justice system very well, right? And and then in that case, because it's in Tennessee, it would be up to Tennessee state legislature to change the laws to account for that. But mm, the governor saying no, you get to be free on time served isn't going to inherently change the law. No, it's not. That's I don't know. That's it's an ongoing story, man. I mean, you know, pardoning to some degree then is a band aid on uh, larger social issues. You know, I, I I see this all the time with the reversal of cases, even when they reverse an, a verdict. Mm-hmm. You know, on people. You know, and oh, you know, we hear the number. Oh, they get twenty million dollars, and it's like, yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't really adjust for the inconsistencies that led to the problem in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, so. I, I, these these cases, you know, we come across them a, a lot more often than we should. Um, like I was talking about, I think in an earlier episode, the serial three, the third season's about justice departments in Cleveland, and mm-hmm. I'm still need to finish that. And still, just taking like such a um, kind of a not quite a microscope look, but like a, a more detailed look at a single um, uh, what do you call them the. Uh, area it's like basically a county district court so looking at a single district court and its impact in the and the people that are in its system as well as incarcerated within the system that it controls um and you can see inconsistencies in that and how it plays out and that's just one township one Mm -hmm. county you know um if you if you take that and project it on the sample size of america and 350 million people in in different counties and cases um it uh it starts to see how much inconsistencies can affect us all and actually be you know really scary and something that um we need to we need to do better we need to do better with our justice system you know mm-hmm. and uh and and unfortunately we we seem to only kind of focus in on these individual cases and we get those cases to results that we respect and want but at the same time we haven't necessarily taking a deep enough dive into the kind of root sources of these problems i mean that's that's all under the purview of criminal justice reform so when we've talked about you know changing 
the attorneys generals of different places through um uh, sean king's uh, justice pack and things of that nature so there are people there's activist groups and everything out there doing their best to change the system but changing the system is slow and so it's not going to change overnight but there's definitely effort being made to change the sl- system this is just like one of those this is when you've gotten to the finish line and then you see the outcome isn't what you think it should be and because there's a way to rectify it in that short term you go for that reason to rectify it but that can happen concurrently while still saying hey when your next uh, thing is in session our criminal justice reform people will talk to the their representatives in their state legislature and in their you know local legislatures and finally our national legislature and say hey these are the policies we want to put forth in order to make that change yeah right well and it definitely happens slow um but unfortunately for us the attention span typically of america is also small and so sometimes the follow-through on the kind of individual pieces that it would take to restructure an overall kind of criminal justice reform as it's labeled uh doesn't seem to happen but you know i mean time always changes people's mood always changes the dynamics that they think are important can change and so hopefully that does become a uh a focus of you know like you're saying more localized communities i mean i would hope you the listener listens to this so you have some a bit of a roadmap of what to look into and what to go to and what to add to your political platform and say this is what i'm going to try to put my time and effort into affecting change on you're going to see and you're going to see it worded in you're going to see local public safety meetings a public safety mm-hmm. meeting is usually a conversation with your local law enforcement, with certain people that are more vocal or representative of your government meeting at some local place with um, the law enforcement and talking about direction. A lot of those meetings have a lot to do with smaller communities and how those smaller communities um, look at policing. And if you go up from that and you go to county meetings and different county-related uh, councils and things, you'll see how public sheriffs are designated power and and you can see that you can also see how monies are appropriated to court systems and the jail systems and what types of uh law like legal aid is is available to those people and you can then try and help out those situations a lot of times representation is one of the biggest um kind of failures of our of our law enforcement in our criminal justice system is they don't have access to real representation because yes they're given a name and they're giving a representation that might show up for the 15 minute arraignment but they're not getting actual representation in the way attorneys actually work when they when they try to find out who you are and what they can do for you and what they need to do to represent you best and what your best interests are and and how to take the case and how the case actually evolved how the case is on paper versus how the case actually happened what are the facts what are the pieces you know they they oftentimes are assigned so many cases that they're not given more time than you get on a on a not public facebook profile you know what i mean you probably get more information from a michael i think you part of your political platform should be criminal justice reform <laughs> uh, because in criminal justice reform definitely the workload of public defenders is something that wants to be addressed Right. Well, I'm just saying whether or not it's it's in that designation. I'm talking about how w- you were saying that the listeners mm-hmm. could actually impart that is you can find out what law um, offices and agencies 
are assigned as public defenders in your area, find mm-hmm. out what the staffing is and talk to those people about their staff load and then use that when you go to those public safety meetings oh, yeah. and when you go to those town hall meetings as fodder for where the change can actually occur. I'm not just describing problems, Chaz. I'm telling you why mm-hmm. I think there are ways we can do something about it and where those places are. And those are those places. You know, There's actual lawyers who are assigned these cases. They'll tell you. It's legal for them to say, I've got 141 cases. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's uh it's it's something available to all of us that uh that we, you know, and if it's not that direction, if you're not going on the representation side, look into jail reform. Um look into how juveniles are um shipped around in your state and your county and find out if they're being protected and 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 represented correctly. Look at how, you know, the the arrest record and how is policing being conducted in your area? Is there inherent racism in the way that they pull over people and profile and whatnot? Can you make a statement? Are you in an area or a community that traditionally hasn't had that be a dialogue that they have in public safety meetings? Maybe even if the demographics are leaning to like a more minority or a less minority situation maybe your voice in your discussion in those meetings in those public spaces can make that conversation change Mm -hmm. you know and those type of policing habits and those type of uh you know bad representation situations can start to adjust uh you can even find out the other option is maybe you're influential with people that have you know, large sums of money or a lot of political contribution background. Mm-hmm. Find out where they're putting their money. What are they actually investing in? Who are they? Do they want to sit down for lunch and have a conversation about the ideologies? How do they support your community? How are they working against these norms? How can they be working with your norms? And how can you create a convincing argument to have them support these types of changes? Because we know in America, change does follow the money. And so Mm -hmm. if there's money behind these ideas and these motives, we'll definitely start to see some change. And I also think that this is one of those ways where when we meet and we deal with people on a personal level, we can often cross these ideological boundaries that we set for ourselves and each other and and that we seem to to really build up in these online political channels and things where we're able to kind of isolate our impression of how other humans are. Um, we, we can start to kind of have these conversations with people you might not expect to be necessarily receptive to these ideas when they hear them coming directly from, um, a constituent or a citizen or a person Mm -hmm. that they know, uh, you know, you can, you can sway hearts and minds. Ultimately, we want everyone to feel like they're a part of this, you know, and they don't have to be against it because just as much as we're protecting these minorities or protecting these, uh, incarcerated people who are who are being charged with crimes that aren't what they committed in the in the way that the law follows. Uh, you know how do we you know fix that situation and and actually get along even better? Um, because if it happened to them, if it happened to their family, our protections and the way that we're discussing would help them. Mm-hmm. You know, in those situations, and that it's not about the specifics of of these scenarios or like the worst case scenarios you see in the media, it's about fairness for everybody and that we're going to make it a fairer world. And in, in doing so it it should make it inherently a better world. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, the goal. And it's, it's amazing, you know, to this point that you find as much resistance to that type of ideal as you do. 
Um, but I still think, you know, in these meetings, in these representations, in running for Congress, um, we're we're gonna see the the ways of change. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, one, one other, well, I guess a couple of other things. One, uh, also looking to bail reform, um, uh, as uh, one of the ways that you can help out with criminal justice reform, because, uh, there was a nice little sort of interactive story that the LA Times did a while back. If you look at, if you Google something like LA Times, uh, prison, prison map out or something but it'll basically have you go through a story of like when you you get arrested you and what the process looks like when you go through it um and how that impacts people and what criminal justice reform on that level would mean uh, but i'm also very interested in wondering what individuals out there if you're listening and you believe vehemently in the rule of law and is there a difference from like how you might pragmatically or practically deal with the rule of law when it comes to these certain things or is it like hard set what it says on the paper no interpretation don't break it whatever my dude right like that sort of way because i can see that being um a big sort of clash in how the law is performed and just dubbed out so right there's something about inherently about the law and like kind of these documents that um outline our our rights and freedoms that we we agree as people that we want them bendable but not breakable Mm -hmm. you know and so it's like we want we want the law to be there and we want it though to be working with and for us and then we don't want it to be broken because then you have anarchy and the system might collapse from that so it's this bendability factor that we want and it's kind of when we see the law not being bent when it's not being allowed to flow in a way that that makes for our our current societies and social norms to accept then then we get frustrated because it's like you know inherently no one's trying to break the law like we're all trying to follow what we understand to be the general idea of the law um it's whether or not those laws, if you take them on these kind of like you're saying, like verbatim word level. Mm-hmm. And there's people who are like the like the rule of law is something that they emphatically believe in. Right, right, and and you know, and to some degree, I guess we I do as well, or we can as well, as long as we are able to influence the way the law is interpreted and actually instructed in and in, in resulting, um, like ways so arrests and and court procedures and all those things go in line with how we feel then that the law itself is fine it's whether or not we we can work with it because yeah if it if they're taking some of these i mean and then there's ridiculous laws and then we're just looking oh, at the, yeah. the rule of law itself is just full of ridiculous ones already and so it it, it almost begs a, a a more powerful sense of a community and council to just go through their individual laws and just look at each other and be like really really i think you know it'd <laughs> you know? be interesting to have on the books a law audit because i definitely know washington state suffers from archaic ass laws that you know i mean one that i make fun of but i guess it kind of made sense in the context is that did you know in the, the state of washington it is illegal to dance three steps backwards Oh, wow, because you're, like, then you're interrupting someone else's. You're not giving the other person enough, like, room to adjust for you. So now you mm-hmm. can step or harm somebody or, wow, yeah, that's such a very interesting battle. Yeah, but, like, that's what it boils down to is, like, it It doesn't, it, it matters what laws are on the books, but it also matters what 
what laws law enforcement is prioritizing and uh what is it enforcing right uh so yeah it's the enforcement that leads to you know the arrest the arrest and so like from the beginning like what are you enforcing like what are I was in a conversation earlier where, you know, we when you look at a closure rate of something and uh, because a lot of people like the FBI statistics and closure rates for things like murders is 64 percent closure rates for robberies, 11 percent. Right. So like home invasions or people stealing things from home, like nobody cares about that. Right. Right. And you might say, oh, no, they do. I'm like, no. Why is their closure rate so low? Right. Like, of course, because they're not. Or is it because it's really hard for them to find the people? Um, is it because they're not putting enough bodies on it? Is there something I didn't mention here not to make false dichotomies? Right. But, you know, the 11 percent means something um, in that case and other smaller, you know, domicile neighborhoody type uh crimes also seem to have low rates too but you can you can look at those conclusions the 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 fbi data is out there and just in case just if you want to know what closure is closure basically like there's two types of closure uh the main one that i remember is arrest closure where um it doesn't even really matter if the person did the thing or not like for real for real like what the truth is like what they write down on paper is like if we charged you with this thing and then we sent you into prosecution it gets closed like that's a closure for them right and then people use that to say that that means that that percentage of people are performing those actions and i'm just like no you can't possibly know that because that doesn't tell the truth that just says what they think and as we just mentioned earlier there's people's cases that get turned back over and everything of that sort so yeah well, um, in my always diversion sidestep style, uh, I'll interrupt this whole uh, intense discussion about where our law is falling short, and I want to talk about comedy specials. Oh, snap. And comedy albums and kind of uh, their effect and their, the, their timeline when they kind of occurred, because there's certain ones I want to bring up. We can talk about just some of them that we've seen recently or ones you like as well. Um, but just kind of in the in the element of, uh, well, A, we'll, we'll, we'll preface it with uh, you and I went and attended a comedy special taping. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Ron Funches here in Seattle at the Neptune Theater. And that is set to be um, premiering on January 24th on Comedy Central at 11 p.m. Oh, snap. So we're going to see it. It's now been titled Giggle Fit <laughs> because uh, Ron Funches is known to be a giggler, and he got fit. So uh, the the title works. Uh, it fits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so in celebration of our attending that and its its final release, like we went to that back in, like, May or July or something. It was Oh, yeah. It was a while ago. Um I want to I want to celebrate the form of the comedy special and also kind of its previous form, the comedy album, uh, as, as as through you know the our kind of more recent history and and its effect in those things. So, is there any what 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 comedy album stands out to you? Like, do if you think of a comedy album, either from your childhood or like lately, or a show you've seen. What what one stands out to you is like a, a one you remember. Like yeah, I was gonna say comedy albums. Uh, I think I'm a little too young for that. Uh, but comedy specials, the one, the granddaddy of them all from my childhood is Delirious from uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, right? Like that's that's the comedy special that people still quote today. Right. <laughs> I I can't quote anything from it off the top of my head, but 
I remember it was impactful. And then earlier than that, uh, Richard Pryor, right. he did his comedy specials, were pretty impactful as well, too. So of those two, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy, his also famous for the, the zipper jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had like the zipper jacket on, uh, red, bright red uh, leather. And, and yeah, it's a very, uh, like... An energetic it's a very energetic comedy show Mm -hmm. like from the get he is just full of energy and just it's it's very funny and uh that was probably the very first comedy special i knew Mm -hmm. of as a comedy special i've probably seen some clips of some other ones but that was the first time i watched one and and i liked it and i'm sure i didn't know half of the jokes Mm. but i knew that it was eddie murphy and i knew that he was hilarious Mm -hmm. and i knew that um yeah i liked him in all of the beverly hills cop movies and i think i think i saw it just before i was able to see any of those movies Mm. but um but yeah no i remember that being a very like it was hilarious it was one of the funniest uh comedy specials of all time and then richard Pryor uh recorded one at what is now kind of the seminal stand-up uh uh you know club uh the comedy store in la um mm. uh, prior recorded live on the sunset strip oh. and he recorded it at uh the comedy store and and it was it was recorded i think in the main room it was probably in the main room um but yeah it was like it was kind of the first you know uh recording in a club in, in the in that kind of modern era and uh and that's very impactful cuz that space now is having this like resurgence it's like it's fed a lot by the podcast kind of medium that's brought mm-hmm. a lot of comedians into people's hearts and minds by via these podcasts that now mm-hmm. they're they're going out to clubs to to support them in their in their original medium and in the medium that they pay for because you know they're not unless you're ordering these uh, Squarespace uh, and you know your your Blue Aprons uh, <laughs> most of the podcasts are free to everybody. So uh, there's a resurgence, and so yeah, uh, people like Joe Rogan and uh, and you know different podcaster Bill Burr uh, are are you know headlining shows at the uh, the comedy store now where he recorded that. Nice. Uh, other other top specials. I mean, you had um, in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, Mitch Hedberg was uh, a, a very good deliverer of one-liners. And uh, he has several comedy albums that have gone around the internet eight million times by now. Uh, he'll he'll always be remembered for uh, "Ducks Eat for Free at Subway," and uh, "Escalators Are Never Broken; They Just Become Stairs," uh, which were two of his funnier observations. And uh, you know he was following in the footsteps of some other one-liner people, and so he gets compared to like uh, the the styles that they did. But uh, you know. It, it it's still one of the most quotable albums of all time is the one where he's live in a club with a guy playing bass. Mm. And then every time he says a joke, if he doesn't think there's enough laugh, he, he tells the bassist, he's like, yeah, pick up the bass. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's no reason. And then, um, you know, and then Netflix of course came in like a juggernaut <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's good ones there's bad ones there's so many now i mean i'm glad they're they're paying comedians that's a big thing uh but some of the people that definitely have risen from from the ranks in in uh in in comedy come now from uh doing their netflix specials uh 
you know, some of them, ha- you know, become more problematic. Aziz definitely rose to fame with a couple Netflix specials. Uh, Louis C.K. had several very influential, uh, you know, specials. You know, and uh, and our and our history is varied. I think if you interviewed people 15, 20 years ago, people would tell you one of their idols was Bill Cosby. So we're not going to be hearing that anymore. Oh yeah, in the pantheon of comedy, but definitely delivered some of the most like quotable albums of the day and it, and if if you knew people that didn't know much about comedy and definitely didn't know much about black people and comedy they somehow would still end up having uh, a, a bill cosby album back in the day it mm-hmm. was it was pretty uh pervasive as far as the the album movement of that time so you know it things and impressions of comics definitely change they're not they're not not guilty of uh of that so but nowadays you know we're building on a new set of heroes as it were you know where you know eliza schlesinger has a a special on there jen kirkman she has quite a few has a special on there um you know for a moment uh there was talks they were gonna do a new roseanne special which Uh, i know she's a little problematic but i guarantee you that would have been hilarious oh yeah oh no it would have i mean like she didn't get it because of the problematic things of course but yeah i mean for a while when i thought roseanne because i used to watch last comic standing like religiously and when she was a host on there i was like Oh, okay, Roseanne, you're cool, but I was completely ignorant to her past as well, too. So I was kind of like, oh. Yeah, I mean, in the end, it kind of feels like she might be guilty of just having bad opinions and bad taste. Mm -hmm. You know, I I wouldn't even personally attach her as racist in the sense that she might just be bad taste. In the same way that I'd feel the same thing about Gilbert Wait, Godfrey. how does that work? <laughs> that she, I don't think she intended those particular things to be as directly, inherently racist points of view as they were. That's why. If you intend it, it is. I, I think it's terrible language and it was stupid for her to post it. But I also think she comes from this vein of comics that there is no boundary and so if you come from that vein it gets a little it gets a little sketchy and gray because i was about to bring up gilbert godfrey and i Mm -hmm. think gilbert godfrey i still celebrate him as a comic and i know he had a a very tasteless joke after a tsunami Mm. you know and some people would characterize it as racist because it is of a um type of people because it happened mostly in japan so it was mostly japanese people that were the Uh victims of it that it 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 felt inherently racist i would describe his joke as somebody that i know is not cognizant of any lines anywhere Uh thinking that the, the 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 bounds of comedy are are boundless that it was tasteless more than racist okay where i disagree with you is like I, I think we've spoke about this plenty of times, and this is exactly what I mean by when people only see racism as explicit racism, right? Like, and it's not. No, no, no. See, you're making it that argument. I, I know what you mean by that, and mm-hmm. I agree that things shouldn't be implicitly racist. But I think you're disagreeing with there's a there's a tenant of comedy. There's mm-hmm. literally a tenant of comedy that makes it to where censorship. It, it it impedes on like the ability to 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 look at anything and everything from a different point of view so from that point of view you almost have to be able to sometimes make people uncomfortable 
you can make people uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it can't. I think Cause his, it can both be cause, a misstep, but also racist. Okay. And I mean, we'll agree to disagree. And mm-hmm. I, I will never agree to that. And here's why. I'll agree to that in common speech. I'll agree to that in public speech. I'll agree to that to anyone who's not a declared actual comedian mm-hmm. that we know is a boundary pushing. At that point, I'm going to say, well, what did he say and how did he say it? When did he say it? And if it has even an inherent ability where if you were able to step outside and it's funny, then it's fair. Because that's the rule of the game. There are no other rules. There are no talk to Mel Brooks and he'll tell you the same angle from being a man who was Jewish, who was persecuted for it, who was almost blacklisted, who was, you know, at the time during the McCarthy era and all those things. And he'll tell you the same thing. You know, if you talk to um, certain black comics that, you know, have come up in, in the era uh, when, you know, their comedy specials were, okay, BET wants to do one, but that was it. It wasn't like Comedy Central was do- doling out money mm. to a lot of black comics at one point in time, you know. And so uh, they'll still tell you that, you know, the, the definition of how you use it and whether it was funny and if it, it censorship comes into the conversation, the, it's 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 problematic in my sense for more Roseanne than Gilbert because I know Gilbert meant it literally as a joke, mm-hmm. and Roseanne was also trying to make an outside political point. So in a way, it was more of a political tweet than it was a joke, and that's why I would inherently be more upset about that one than I would be personally about gilbert because i Mm -hmm. think gilbert's literally by definition for society is a bad joke you know and Mm -hmm. i think that's needs to be structurally and linguistically separate from racism Um, i mean you can people can find racism funny but that doesn't mean that won't make us think less of you people can no, I because I'm because I'm tell, I I've I think I've declared enough of a specification on this where I'm actually right that you're you by declaring it racism is actually making it inaccurate because it's not. So by saying some people can find racism funny is not making the same point I'm making, which is that this is a bad joke, period. So I think they're two different points, and I think your refusal to see my point almost makes my point that I think people don't recognize that if a comedian doesn't have a border or or an idea that censorship is somehow a bad thing, then they're going to say things that piss people off and make people uncomfortable and maybe make them have a, th- a reaction based on race if they feel like it's an attack on that race. But it doesn't inherently make the act of saying it racist if it inherently is actually a bad joke. Then I think we, I think we have to clear up what we think, how we define racism, because I think you and I define it differently. Then, well, I mean, I I think we define comedy differently. I think we we define what the element and the idea of censorship is differently. I don't think we define racism differently. I think we define that particular thing. Because I also just made the clarification that in Roseanne's piece, she is making a political statement. We know that because she's talking about political leaders and political actors. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, in her characterization of them, so it's, it's, uh, it's a, a more offensive situation to me because in my mind, like I know, I know that to, to me, comedy has the right to make 9-11 jokes. 
Do people find 9-11 jokes offensive? Yes. Could it even be a majority of people find 9-11 jokes offensive? Mm -hmm. Yes. Does it make it a joke or not a bad joke? No. It's still a joke. And so I, 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 I hold a different level to that art form and its implicit behavior and, and, and role that doesn't allow that to just come out because it involves a race or because it can make that race feel uncomfortable in the context of how comedy is performed. Now, is it appropriate or do you need to spend your money on it or you choose to go to things that don't make you feel offended? Then, yeah, vote with your dollar and, mm-hmm. and, and use that. But I don't think we get a call um, boundaryless, censorshipless comics that oftentimes say tasteless and bad joke things we can't demonize them as racist because i don't think that's inherently the same thing yeah then we have we have to define racism because i my stance was simply you can be both offensive and racist at the same time yeah well i don't know man i mean because i i i I mean i don't think because in because I, I use the context, you know, if you wanted to do it all the way down, if a comic went on stage and just started saying the N-word, yeah, do I give him happens. the protections? Right. No. And I think that's probably the the most tasteless and bad joke form. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to assign racism, I would probably need to know more about the person. I think they're the most tasteless person out there. I would probably also walk out of that room. I do know, realize where we see the difference in racism. Like, I think for you, racism has to come from a hurtful place. And for me, the statement itself just needs to be framing race in a way that demoralizes a person of that race. I'm, I'm it. No, (laughs) Mm. I think I, I think racism can, can be effective if it comes from a ignorant place. I just protect the art of comedy, mm. but but I do think there are players in it now. Like if I if I did just think someone was just coming up, that they they're 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 making the argument harder for us to make because they are just literally doing that, and that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But um, I I do think we we have to restructure how we respond to it because a lot of the times, like if I was to be perfectly honest i've laughed at a lot of 9-11 jokes as have i and <laughs> so and um you know and to some degree when i was a youth i probably laughed at more racist jokes than i get presented today you know mm-hmm. because that's how jokes used to be written when you were a kid in washington state you know there was a lot of this nationality and this nationality and this nationality are in this situation and this one does this and this one you know and those jokes you would probably what you'd clarify as racist right yeah as would i in the the intent of those jokes is racism and not humor in a way it's 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 by by it's because they're they're drawing an identification of a person and in the same vein, I will admit that I used to laugh at jokes for people who are mentally impaired. Now we know that it is very taboo to make jokes about individuals who are mentally impaired. I could have found a joke about someone who was mentally impaired very hilarious, because I did. What but if a joke is coming from someone who's m- mentally disabled? That's fine. Okay. They're, 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 if they're making an observational comedy about themselves, that's fine. And then what if 800 mentally disabled people are offended by that joke? Then if they label it as discrimination against them, 
they're allowed to have that opinion too. But um, he's also allowed, or she's also allowed to say it. Or yeah. they're also. Oh, I'm not saying say they can't saying yeah. it. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, my point is, I don't think the two concepts need to be separated. I think something can be both simultaneously funny and racist. Right. Uh, and, like, well, I'm yeah. just thinking if you replace the word racist with offensive, and we remove race from it completely, and that we make sure all of the examples are people not making issue with race or even example of race, mm-hmm. you're going to find a lot of people in the same corner that you're in who make the argument that offensive needs to come out of comedy. And I think all of these things become a slippery slope, not just of language and linguistics, Mm -hmm. but of our ability to question and and curtail what is the current think and is the current way and is the current anything. And so uh, I just been very guarding of the art form. No, I, I do have a question. I wonder if it boils down to, do you feel like a comic shouldn't be thought less of because they make that joke? Because I think that's ultimately what like people are looking and for when you're judging them. Depends on the comic. Gilbert Godfrey mm. is known to be one of the most offensive comics as possible. That's mm-hmm. his style. That's what he's kind of good at. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I have to give him a pass. That's his style. That's what he's been doing. He's never gone off that that hill. That's the hill he's going to die on. Mm-hmm. Then that tsunami joke stands. And you know what? It might have been funny. You know, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, like if you look at it objectively, if you look at it in the sense that people do laugh at 9-11 jokes, it might have been funny. Now, if I remember the one that was like the one that actually got him fired, it, it, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it, I didn't even know he got fired from something. I never. Yeah, he was the Aflac duck. Oh, oh, it got him fired from that. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and now Whoa. it's just a co- another comedian doing <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey's <laughs> Aflac. Because they actually owned the rights to the word. Oh, okay. So, wow. But they didn't, uh, and they didn't. He didn't have like a patent on his way of saying Aflac. Or well, anything. like, funny enough, Gilbert Gottfried was recently on a special episode about Brexit for last week tonight. So I guess he's paid his dues, and, and he's back in the game. Again. Yeah. So. <laughs> I feel like you we want to you want to turn this show eventually into <laughs> is McKellar racist and I'm like no. I'm not but no I don't no know. I'm not I, okay like but as a progressive like definitely a, a good book for everyone to read is uh, Uloa Mujima's uh, so you want to talk about race right and it definitely like talks about that and definitely when uh, I talk about racism when I was a kid and even in my early 20s the late 20s I would have agreed to you that racism is only the explicit expression of racism towards another person but it's 2018 and I know better now right so and because I know better and also because things can hold like one one thing one person isn't just one thing people can hold ideals concurrently ultimately and based on like anecdotally on my experience whenever the idea of racism comes up it's not less about the person saying let's stop being racist it it feels like it comes from a place of it it hurts me when you call me racist can we please not do that so i don't hurt right and i was like that doesn't really bring in the impact that racism has and the reason why it gets brought up and even why like even at times we're saying it's just a like it can be a joke but let's not use the fact that it's a joke to lessen its impact and that's why i say like yes you can nobody i'm not going to say you can't say what you want to say i mean i don't want to always be devil's advocate but there's Mm -hmm. a rebuttal to that that Mm -hmm. by that by not accepting it as a joke you're not allowing it to be a joke 
that you're not supposed to take jokes like that, that you're, you're, why are you, you know, that's, that, that, you know, it's, it's a different framework of the idea of comedy and, and joke. I don't laugh at every joke I hear. I actually don't laugh at most jokes I hear. Oh, yeah, no. I only laugh at the jokes that I find funny. Mm-hmm. And that's the best part about laughter is that it's a spontaneous reaction to something. But the, the question, um, like, I think the, the question isn't that you find it funny or that I would find it funny. It's the reasons why we find particular things funny and what that means overall from the culture that it comes from and what it represents. I mean, I can often find something funny just by delivery. It may not even be the concept of the joke. Mm -hmm. Someone could say it in a funny way. I mean, have you ever heard the ramblings of like what we label as crazy people? And they'll say very inappropriate and, and, and it's inherently funny sometimes because it'll often come in a place where no one is going to be like issuing those mm-hmm. words in that way. Now, can it also be scary and can it also be bad? And like in the way it depends on how they deliver it, when they deliver it, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes when it's that kind of like that like raving madness where they just say it out loud just as spontaneously and it's not even like necessarily directed at any person in their public sphere and it happens in like a target you know like mm-hmm. like you're waiting in line at target and like you're just about to get checked out by janet and some guy just like screams out some obscenities and says something really crazy and walks away mm-hmm. like there is a moment of like whoa and in some situations in that public moment there's like a public release of some laughter when they walk away because everyone's like that was crazy like whoa what is that mm-hmm. you know oh, okay and you go about your day you know because we find some of the most offensive and sad and and, and inherently bad things funny and i don't necessarily think it's because we're all bad people or that inherently by knowing why we think that's funny we're bad people or that we have to feel like we're good or bad people in order to not and find things funny it has nothing to do with being good or bad people and i got there so Mm -hmm. you don't have to tell me that um i i would say that that there's a reason you know to that that public sentiment and that public connection of of you know, I mean, you can dole it down in a different way and it's separate from the racial conversation. But, you know, America's got or America's funniest videos and all that back in the day was people getting hurt half the time and everyone just laughs, you know. Schadenfreude. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, we've been dealing with <clears throat> what is the line of funny for our entire existence. And I'm just of the camp that we I just stopped drawing a line for it just for it you know if it if it if it ends up like influencing politics and changing minds in a way that like is like negative for people that i care about and things that are happening to people that are you know not represented correctly and now this makes it worse then that's a whole different conversation and thing Mm -hmm. but as long as it's just a joke that was supposed to and intend to inflict the uh spontaneous reaction of laughter Mm -hmm. then i'm i'm typically okay with it and often don't find it funny but I'm typically okay with it mm-hmm. as, as language. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because there's this one thing a friend posted about a joke a comedian made, and then he got taken out of the. Uh, what was it? Like he was doing a comedy show, and I've definitely seen the things on where comedians feel like it's unsafe to go to colleges anymore because of that. And I feel like this guy got taken off of the stage where definitely even the framing of the joke was like, how? What? how could you think that was racist right like it felt like yeah i feel like it taken it to an extreme and definitely where it feels like some people are in some people's cases where they'll make that defense because i can't remember their name i think it was a it was an either no it was a canadian 
uh, what should I call it? Comedian. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember it and call it back. But it definitely was one of those cases where I was like, okay, this is taking that shit too far. Right? Like, you know, Dave Chappelle making a joke about trans people, knowing how trans people are treated in society, give them some shit for it. Right? But, you know, some, but people saying something that was supposed to, like, it was not even, it was representing them in a good light, not a bad one, then it probably wasn't as bad as you think it was. Right? So, yeah, I do agree with you that there's levels. Right? I just also agree that we can critique it based on what uh, the the times that we live in. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. And I mean, everyone can have opinions and boundaries and 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 i and i also i inherently believe that uh the receiving party of the message or you know the 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 joke or whatever it is has some say in in how it made them feel and how it responds and you know and we need to to be aware of that also you know be conscious of how we're using censorship and make sure that we're using it in the ways we expect and that we're not actually restricting our own kind of futures and things with uh with our use of censorship yeah yeah because i don't even know yeah censorship is interesting because it's it's something that um people (coughs) in the intellectual dark web talk about a lot right and maybe i don't i don't get what they mean exactly as censorship and why they think like i get why they would think it's a problem from the government right but like from private entities and how society wants to be structured i think that's something that probably someone needs to teach me about what they mean by censorship on that level right right because it almost like that's the whole reason why taboos folk ways and mores exist is you know to make sure that your actions conform to what society wants and sometimes that makes sense like don't kill anyone right but then there's other times where you know we made it a slur where they said don't jaywalk Right, and they they were telling people stupid for walking in the middle of the street before their street lights, right? Right, so, like, there's there's definitely where is the fine line and how do you want to modify the culture and the society to act in a way that's beneficial to the most people. There you go. And with that, man, we made it to the end. Uh, Hell yeah, that's ho- a long episode. Ho- hopefully crap. we covered everything you guys wanted or we annoyed you. Either way, write a letter. Who cares? It's I know, to, right? uh, no, talking about H- comedy is a good a good subject matter. In H-Y-L-Box, B-O-X, at gmail.com. If you want to send us a letter and yell at me for being a racist asshole who thinks comedy is great when people are offended, I'm making that up. I hope you don't <laughs> think that about me. But, you know, you I got know. your own opinion. Uh, or if you want to say something nice about the show, why not? You know, maybe uh, maybe there's something cool. You can also get at me at C-Town Mayor on the Twitter. Uh, C-Town Mayor, because I'm uh, helping out your municipality by the coast. Uh, where where can they say nice things about you, Chaz? Um, uh, I'm actually going to, in 2019, make a better effort to start posting uh, – more articles and stuff I read just like throughout the show uh, on Chaz Baz, just kind of like so you have it out there. I was listening to another podcast that talks about the weirdness of the world, and one of the hosts have been doing that, so I'm piggybacking off of that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, and then I guess you can always find me at CRSII, but that's me like venting about stupid shit people do. I don't think y'all really want to read that. <laughs> Other than that, it's been fun, Chaz. Indeed. Thanks for the good conversations. Of course, man. Take care of you and yours out there, people. Uh, go watch Giggle Fit and listen to All Fantasy Everything. Good luck to the boys doing some shows in Portland. 
Uh, we're going to be out. Peace. Surrender retreat, we all in too deep. Play, play, play for keeps, don't play us a week. Someone said. Surrender retreat, we all in too deep. Play, play, play for keeps, don't play us a week. This shit way too far.